welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 31 for February 9th, 2011. Right, and we're going to continue our post-the-motion-picture-era series here. We're on episode 6 of that. I believe. It is episode 6, right? Uh, You keep asking me these things. I know. I keep thinking that it should be shorter. I don't know. I'm not keeping track of it like that. He's counting now. Uh, we're actually on episode... We'll have a number in a minute. Yeah. This is actually episode number eight of our Star Trek The Motion Picture Continuity Series. Ah. There you go. Excellent. I, I've been keeping track of it as far as uh, how many comic strips we've done. So I think we're on the eighth comic strip episode, but... Yeah, but we had a few episodes where we didn't do a comic strip. Ah. Ah. Because we're on comic strip number 10, right? We are on 10. So, so actually... Extra ones. Yeah, you're right. You're okay. right. Cool. <laughs> and I don't need to be. Believe me. <laughs> you're keeping track of this stuff a little bit more detail than I am. Okay. So we're going to be reviewing comic strip number 10 called exactly. Quarantine and Marvel Comics number 10 called... Uh, domain of the Dragon God. Exactly. So we are doing issue 10s all over the place today. Yeah, we are. And the first one is my pleasure to present to you. As Donovan mentioned, the name is Domain of the Dragon God. Published date is January 1981. Creative team is Michael Fleischer, writer. Artists are Leo Duranona and Klaus Jansen. Colors are by Carl Gafford. Letterer is Rick Parker. Editor, Louise Jones. Editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. Synopsis. The cover shows Spock with a ripped uniform and a spear in his hands. He has a threatening, intense look on his face and is standing on the apparently dead and bloody body of a primitive humanoid. He is surrounded by many spear and axe-wielding primitives. The upper text states that it's a Star Trek comic. The bottom text says, Spock the Barbarian. In the lower right text box, we find out that the issue includes excerpts from the Starfleet files. The first page presents a full-page panel with the Enterprise in orbit around Barak 7, an M-class planet that has a visible aura around it. The local star is also shown to the left of the Enterprise. The text boxes present Kirk's log, telling us the Enterprise is on assignment to study Barak 7's unusual magnetic field. The field is so powerful that communications are significantly disrupted and the transporter is non-operational. The lower right-hand corner of the panel states the title in large red and green font, Domain of the Dragon God. Kirk is speaking to Spock and McCoy. He says all that can be learned from orbit has been learned, and that he and Spock will complete the survey from the ground. 
McCoy shuts down the idea since Kirk is getting over a case of the flu. Spock and McCoy plan to take a shuttle down to the planet and complete the survey in six hours. McCoy and Spock leave the Enterprise in a uniquely designed shuttlecraft that is far more curvaceous than perhaps any Federation craft seen to date in the comics. On the way down, the ride starts to get rough as Spock reports the engine's filters are getting clogged. Eventually, they lose power and crash land on the planet. Spock states he should be able to get the shuttle working again after he manually cleans out all the magnetic dust that clogged them on the way down. While Spock works on the shuttle, McCoy notices a group of primitive indigenous people walking on the other side of the rocky outcropping. McCoy notices they are handling a woman in their midst very roughly. Eventually, they come to a pool of water populated with reptilian creatures. They appear to intend to throw the girl into the water. They overhear the conversation, which confirms that she is some kind of slave who is stepping up in the world to become a human sacrifice to a dragon god. McCoy wants to rush down and save her while Spock quotes the Prime Directive. The girl is able to get away and happens to run up towards Spock and McCoy's position in the upper rocks. The primitives follow the girl, and the fight is on, with McCoy and Spock holding the primitive attackers off until McCoy's phaser stops working. The same magnetic dust that fouled the shuttle's engines fouled one of the phasers. Spock tells McCoy to take the girl and run, while he holds off the attackers. McCoy and the girl take off, leaving Spock to valiantly fight on until his phaser fails, and then is overcome by the superior forces of the many primitives. The girl takes McCoy to his brother and their small band of revolutionaries, who the girl says will help him. Meanwhile, Spock is taken to meet the big kahuna, whose name is Ragnok. He is a huge fat man, complete with ample man-teats, who sentences Mr. Spock to work on the Mount Rushmore of Barak 7 which basically is shows his face, Ragnarok's face, so he will, will work there for the rest of his life as a slave. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Kirk is worried, but not really accomplishing anything, except to explain why the Federation crew can't help the landing party right now. While working on the chain gang, Spock helps an old slave and ends up knocked out by a brutal guard for his troubles. McCoy meets the girl's brother, and through her, finds out he wants to defeat Ragnarok, and then help Spock for McCoy. Unfortunately, McCoy figures that he has too many men to topple Ragnarok, so McCoy figures to start making bow and arrows that'll help even the odds. Eventually, they accept McCoy's new weapon and start manufacturing more and practicing. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk finally wises up and asks Scotty to outfit a shuttle with air intake filters that will allow him to fly to the surface without landing the hard way. The installation will take time, so Spock and McCoy get to play Caveman a bit longer. K-Barg, the girl's brother, launches a massive arrow attack on Ragnarok's soldiers. Though inexperienced, K-Barg's Men are accurate enough with the arrows to open up a serious can of whoop-ass on Ragnarok's forces. 
Spock and McCoy reunite while K. Barg calls Ragnock out to fight him mano y mano. He obliges and is quickly shot in the chest by K. Barg's arrow. With Ragnock dead, the fighting ends. Almost immediately, K. Barg is named king and decides to sacrifice Ragnock's wife to the serpent pit for some good old-fashioned human sacrificing action. The king is dead. Long live the king. A new brute replaced the old brute, so nothing has really changed. K. Barg even decides that he wants to replace his own face on the mountain monument that originally had Ragnarok's face. So really, no difference here. McCoy tries to reason with him and stop the human sacrifice, which rains on K. Barg's parade just long enough to piss him off and turn McCoy and Spock into their enemies. They run for their lives and face a steep climb up to get to their shuttlecraft, when suddenly Kirk starts buzzing the primitives in a second shuttlecraft. That freaks them out enough for them to run. McCoy and Spock waste no time to get on the shuttle and up to the Enterprise. While the shuttle approaches the Enterprise, McCoy and Spock enter a conversation based on their experiences on the planet. Quoting applicable proverbs, like the old favorite, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The conversation confuses Kirk, and for once, the story ends up with Spock and McCoy in perfect agreement. The end of the comic. Yeah, this one is a little odd because it kind of ends on a downer. That uh, really they didn't accomplish anything except they were able to save their lives. Exactly. But the nice thing is that life is bittersweet and not everything works out for the best. So I kind of like I kind of like the 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 ending where everything just didn't turn out rosy. I mean, it, I think it made a very realistic observation about humanity and about this alien race, which is pretty human-like, only uh, primitive. Right. They're they're kind of like the ancient Egyptians or maybe even Mayan-type people. Uh, I couldn't yeah. quite figure yeah. out which which kind of template they were using. I don't know. But to some degree, they seem more primitive than those two races. But, yeah, I mean, they had human sacrifices uh, in, uh, well, did Egypt have human sacrifices? Well, whatever. I, definitely, I know, but the, they were able to build giant monuments and things. True, true. And definitely uh, plenty of human sacrifice going on in, in the Mayan civilization. Right. So, uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess they're kind of more cavemanish looking. Even in their faces, they have the pronounced brow and things like that. Right. I don't know. I I kind of like that, like you said, that it didn't quite ha- end and, you know, roses and everything wraps up in a nice little bow. But, I don't know, it just seemed kind of odd that he basically taught them how to be warriors very fast and you know, then they just replace themselves as the overlords or whatever. Exactly. So, and, and actually, in, in, most of these comics are very oriented towards kids, obviously. And definitely, we're going to hit one. I think it's the next one we're going to do. Okay. Definitely plenty of these comics are aimed at kids, and they're not very good stories, and they kind of, you know, they just kind of throw a lot of, like, uh, like brain candy out there that, that really doesn't make much sense and doesn't have much meat to it. 
Right. Uh, but this, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'll give it some credit. Um, I, I think it had a little bit more interesting, a little bit more adult storyline in the fact that, like that old episode that I don't remember the, the, the title of it, uh, Kirk and Company armed the Hill people with uh, rifles because the Klingons are, oh, that's are, right. are arming some other group, the villagers or the, the townspeople, whatever those people were, with, right. uh, with guns too. So they're right. both, you know, at the end of that episode, and I, isn't, I think that's the one we saw the Megatsu. Uh, which I, which was what, even though it's schlocky, it's still one of my favorite Star Trek an, uh, monsters. That was bittersweet too. I mean, they're arming them, but in the end, it's an arms race, and nobody wins. So, well, I, I did like that they actually brought up the Prime Directive, yeah. which we don't get that a lot, especially in some of these comic books where they just go to the planet, make first contact, and start fighting along with uh, whoever it is. Uh, so I like that they actually tried to make a, an effort to say that they couldn't just come in there and save her, even though McCoy wanted to. Yeah. Right. But in saying that, you know, at least they tried to do that. They did leave the shuttle there on the planet without making any effort to go back <laughs> and pick it up. I completely agree that that was a big mess up in the story. Like, big hey, mess up. Just jump into Kirk's ship and let's go. Exactly. I mean, Ooh, not, 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 that, not that they would have done much with that shuttle, but uh, still. Uh, I will say one thing about that shuttle, too. Isn't it odd how different it looks? Yes. I mean, I, it, yeah. Yeah, I didn't like it. Oh, I didn't like it. I mean, quite frankly, it looks so smooth and shiny. Again, it looked like, um, you know, something Princess Armadala would be flying around. You know, a, a Star Wars kind of ship more than a Star Trek ship. Right. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. And what's funny is that they don't make a reference that it's a different kind of landing craft. They just say a shuttle, and then when Kirk leaves and it says that he's in a shuttle, it's the traditional Galileo 7-type-looking shuttle. Exactly. Which is is odd. And and there's nothing that says you can't have more than one kind of shuttlecraft in a ship, but... I don't remember ever seeing multiple types of shuttlecraft, unless they might have done something in Next Gen. Yeah, next gen they had the runabout and the normal shuttles. Well, hold, hold on. Use at the same time. Do, they had runabouts on the Enterprise. Yeah, there was a few episodes. Deep Space where, Nine had them. Yeah, Deep Space Nine had them, but they used them on Next Generation too. Oh, I don't remember that. I don't remember the episodes, but I know that they they did do it. Cool. Well, sometimes on Next Gen they had the really tiny shuttle. Like there was one where uh, where data was taken by that. Uh, by, by that trader, that rich trader, the toy collector guy. Exactly, and and the name of the episode was the most toys. Right. Uh, but data that was a tiny shuttle. Data was on. Anyway, so next gen had some different sizes, but original Trek certainly only had the one style. Yeah, definitely. But why did they make it so different? I mean, it's really different. Yeah, and it obviously functions different than a normal shuttlecraft because. It has air intake valves or something like that. So why would a ship that's in space need an air intake? I mean, it's just a coincidence that that's what can get clogged up and wreck your ship. But Uh, it just actually, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, if it was a normal shuttle, it might have been a harder sell about it getting clogged up, air intake getting clogged up. Well, I mean, but but they mentioned that Kirk's would have gotten clogged up too if they they did they did retrofit it. 
Anyway, well, maybe they're just trying to present a new a new style. Yeah, well, I mean, and I mean, this is a new era of Star Trek. I mean, we haven't seen any of these ships except for Star Trek the motion pictures. So, who knows what else is in that new retrofitted uh, Enterprise? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The only the only thing we saw was that the little dorky little pod like one that they flew in the movie that they flew right. around the Enterprise. Yep. When it was in dry dock. Yep. Which did show up in one of our comics recently. Yeah, they they, they use that one every once in a while. Yeah. So, uh, overall, what would you think of the art? Because I don't know if I like this as well as I've liked the art in this series so far. Uh, I don't think the art was very good. I think the uh, I think the phasers looked like they were laughable. I mean, they, they, they look like little flat sticks in their hands. A lot of the characters... Really, I don't think they're very accurate and very simplistic. I mean, especially like in the first panel, where the first like small panel where Kirk's sitting there at some control panel and he's talking to Kirk and Spock. I mean, his arm doesn't. It looks too long. I mean, it looks like 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 a ten year old drew it. It almost reminds me of the of the McDonald's comics. It's that bad in some of these pictures. Well, I think the McDonald's comics were actually probably better than this. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, hold on, uh, hold on. I'm talking about the the little strip viewer comics. Oh, oh, oh I'm, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm talking about the little strip viewer comics. No, no, you're you're right. I thought you were talking about the comics that was on the side of the Happy Meal. No, not the side of the Happy Meal box. No, those were decent. This yeah. reminds me more of those little cheapo strip things. Right, and it's and they're not. There's no depth to anything. It's it's they're almost like they were comic strip art. So I, I and which is funny because we're reading the comic strip at the same time, and a lot of times I felt like the comic strip has better artwork than this. This came across. Yep. I which agree. is, you know, some little kid at the time was shelling out fifty cents for this bad boy. <laughs> and not only that, there are a ton of ads in this thing. And as I mentioned at the beginning, as it states on the cover, uh, we have. Entire pages, multiple pages, like five pages, if I count correctly, devoted to this excerpts from the Starfleet files, which basically gives you five pages telling you about uniforms, about clothing. Right. Uh, I, at first, I thought that you were getting gypped out on your comic comic book, but then I looked over and saw that there was twenty two pages of comic. But I just noticed that their numberings they count the ads as pages. Mm. So yeah, you're right. You got This was really a short story. Yep. Because of this. And what would you think about the uniform breakdowns? The only part I thought was interesting was where they went over all of the uh, sleeve patterns and what all the ranks were. So for each rank they showed what the sleeve patterns were. So I thought that was kind of like, oh, well, okay. I didn't know that. You know, I didn't uh, that was a little interesting. Well, Other yeah, than you, that, I really didn't find it that interesting. Yeah. Like, I, I knew all that. I mean, I've seen it before, but I didn't memorize that the, you know, the, the braided the braided line means one thing and, you know, the other ones mean something else. I, but I did know that's where the, the rank was signified. Oh, I knew that too. I just didn't know the details. Right. Now, is this different than, I mean, it is different than the original series sleeve Insignias, right? Uh, I'd have to go back and compare them. I mean, I, I like for instance, if you look at the cover, I, I okay. So Spock used to, as Lieutenant Commander, he had two 
two solid braids. You know, two two solid bands on and his the arm. Old one? In the old one, what did this thing have? Uh, Lieutenant Commander uh, has uh, one uh, solid one and one hyphenated one. Okay, well, Spock had... Oh, Lieutenant Commander, but Commander? Oh, a Commander has two full ones. Right, so that's the same. Because okay. that's, what's, what's, that's what Spock used to have, and he was Commander. Okay. Right. So then they're, pre- they're pretty much the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess, man. I have to jump to the end of one of these pages. Yeah, right. Yeah, so Commander's two braids, the original uh, series was two braids. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that this would have been helpful if you really cared. We're into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's I true. Because so, I've so, seen it already, I kind of yeah. knew, so I really thought this was just kind of wasted yeah. wasted pages. Yeah, so they, they got one with uh, Nurse Chapel, and, or Dr. Chapel, sorry, and McCoy. It's like, who cares? <laughs> I mean, and then O'Hara's uh, of course, that does show some of the insignia. Oh, yeah, that one and, was and actually kind of cool. The the insignia, how the different colored um, backgrounds background on the logo means different things. Right. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, they didn't used to have different colored backgrounds in the original series. Well, there was no background right. on the original series. They just had right. the little triangle, the swoosh, thing. the right. swoosh kind of thing. So I, I guess it's more interesting, but. Eh. And, yeah. and what's that? What's that Spock dinner jacket he's got on? That's the leisure uniform. The, the leisure uniform. That's the, I. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I don't know if they had it in the movie, but it's definitely better than the dress uniform that Picard and them had to wear. The little dress. Oh God, I hated that. I, I did too. That. But but they also had the jumpsuits in the first season. I hate yeah. those too. Yeah. I think Star Trek has a lot of bad uniforms. I didn't. I don't think I like the first, the original ones either. Well, the original ones were okay. They just look kind of like, you know, you picked up. <laughs> they, 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 they picked all the stuff up from Kmart. I mean, all t-shirt, the all the parts. Yeah, t-shirt and pants. Yeah, exactly. T-shirt, check. Black pants, check. Black black boots, check. Okay, we're done. Now the boots. Not, not a big, boots not a like. big budget. Not a big budget. <laughs> uh, anyways. Anything else on the uh, little uniform thing? Not really, no. Hey, back to the real story. Uh, when McCoy's teaching them how to become expert archers. Yes, which obviously a doctor in, in Starfleet would, would know exactly how to do that. Yeah, but during that little scene when he's showing them how to make the bows and stuff, yeah. I kept playing that song in my head from, um, uh, what was the little puppet show that the, uh, the South Park guys did? World Police or something like that. Oh, the uh, the movie. Yeah, where they oh, yeah. they sing oh, that yeah. song about the montage. Right. Yeah, they yeah. always have like a montage scene. I, I don't remember that. Yeah, that was uh that was the takeoff on Gary Anderson's like puppet TV shows, like yeah, Thunderbirds like, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. But anyways. but yeah, I don't I don't remember the montage music. Oh really? Well, it's actually that, that's the words of the song. Montage, blah, 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 blah. Montage. <laughs> we gotta get this through. Montage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, I thought that was funny, and you see it in movies and stuff all so many times. Oh, of course. At the you know when you come up to the thrill-packed ending of the A Team, you always have that going. Montage music. Really? 
when, when they're going ahead and doing some kind of a big preparation thing, where they're like turning the van into oh I don't know an eighteen wheeler truck, uh, fortified, uh, you know whatever they do, they always got the music going, the military music as they're. Lots of time passes as they're putting all these modifications in place. Anyway. Well, yeah. and The one that I always think about is Rocky. So ah. it starts to work out. And, da, da, and then he's da, all super buff da, and able to take out da, 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 the villain da, 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 da. I was giving it to you while, you while you described it. Yeah, you were. You were giving it to me, kid. Okay. All right. I have one more thing on this, and it's kind of a nitpick, and I think it's a mistake. Um, Go for on it. page 19, can you jump over there real quick? Oh, there All it is. Right, so Got it. On page 19, the very top panel, when McCoy and Spock are meeting for the first time, there's a word balloon that goes straight to Spock, and he says, The dragon god has chosen Kabara to lead us. Oh, now, well, do you know it's Spock, or is it the guy behind him? I don't know. It looks like it's Spock. Well, I think the, the, the end of the word balloon is closer to that amorphous, like, orange outline Shadow of a head. head. Uh, yeah, upon re-looking at it, I can, I can see that. But when I first read it, I thought it was definitely going to Spock's mouth. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, I, I could see that's that an would odd be thing odd. for Spock to say. I know he, exactly. I know he spent some time with the, the slaves there, but uh, he, he really became part of their culture. Yep. I can see why you would think that. Yeah. Anyways, anything else for this one? Not a thing. Not a thing. So, it took us about 30 minutes. There you go. Good. Yeah, so now, your, your five-star ranking, where would it be? Oh, uh, you know, the art wasn't great. The story was okay. It had, like I said, a good ending. Uh, or at least a reasonable ending. And I've been reading so many other really not that good strips. It it kind of pumped this one up. So uh, I, I'll give it I'll give it a two and a half. Yeah, two and a half mm. out of five. Right. Good. Sorry. I was just gonna say I think it maybe a full three. Demerits for the artwork. True. True. Yeah, from a story standpoint, I I would give it more a three, but yeah. The, the art and the thinness of the book. A lot of filler. Right. Oh, oh well. Two and a half, three. Sounds good. Okay. All right, so uh, we're going to jump into the next one now. So we're doing Star Trek, the comic strip, number 10, which uh, came out in all your local newspapers from July 22nd, 1981 to uh, October 27th, 1981. This one's entitled Quarantine. And its writer is Sherriman Devono, and the artist is Ron Harris. So, same folks from last time. The synopsis is that the Enterprise is dispatched to a medical distress call on the planet Sarsithia, which sounds kind of Star Wars, with the Sith part. So, anyways, Sarsithia, uh, who, after 450-year war, has finally rid itself of some space invaders from another system, and the Sarsithians are now facing a planet-wide plague. So, Kirk is playing diplomat and trying to learn all about some militant group called the Brotherhood of Waters, and its leader, General Onith, 
while he's doing that, Dr. Chapel is studying the infected blood. She actually breaks a vial and becomes infected herself. She's actually in a speeder when she finally starts showing symptoms and crashes it and has a, a pretty bad accident. So Kirk and company uh, head to the medical center to check on Chapel. Uh, en route, Spock and Kirk witness firsthand that the uh, post-war famine and the planet, and, and they see just how bad the planet's actually suffering. So after this very long war, they basically don't have any focus, and the only rule seems to be might makes right. And this brotherhood is shown pretty much just taking whatever they want because they're the most powerful group. And the less the, the rest are left to suffer and, and starve. So there's a, an, an attack by some scavengers at the medical center while they're checking up on chapel. And as soon as these uh, scavengers see that the Brotherhood is there, the scavengers surrender. But to Kirk's horror, the Brotherhood just open up fire and shoot them and kill them. So even though they were surrendering, the Brotherhood just went ahead and killed them. So the Sarsithian doctor uh, tries to hinder uh, a serum that Spock and McCoy have come up with to cure Chapel of the Plague. The tranquilizer that he used uh, actually becomes a stimulant when mixed with the serum, and Chapel wakes up uh, with amnesia, and she attacks Kirk and McCoy, thinking that they are her captors. Meanwhile, the Brotherhood has sent a scout ship to a Klingon cruiser... They're under orders by General Onith, who believes that their planet needs another enemy and that the Klingons would be a good place to start. So the Klingons uh, are actually attacked by this little Brotherhood ship, and then the Brotherhood ship takes off and the Klingons pursue. As soon as they get into the orbit of Sarsithia, the Klingons finally catch up and destroy the little ship. As it's being destroyed, Rand is able to beam the crew from the ship back to the Enterprise, uh, and then that's when the Klingons realize that the Enterprise is there, and they think that they've been lured into a trap. Kirk and McCoy return to the ship to deal with the Klingons, while the rest of the crew continue to search for the escaped Chapel. Chapel ends up making it to a spaceport and steals the ship. Uh, as soon as she makes orbit, she mistakes the Klingons and the Enterprise as enemies and starts attacking the closest ship, which happens to be the Klingon cruiser. This further enrages the Klingons. Meanwhile, Kirk figures that the Sarsithian ship that attacked the Klingons was actually ordered by Onith, and that uh, his goal is to start a war between the Klingons against a uh, Federation Sarsithian alliance. Uh, as the Klingons prepare to fire on Chapel's ship, the Enterprise puts itself between the two ships. Just as a fleet of Sarsithian ships obtain orbit and prepare to attack the Klingons, McCoy figures out what's what happened to Chapel. He's been reviewing her, her vitals and things like that. So he figures out what was wrong with her, and he needs to get her back ASAP, else her heart will burst due to the simulant that the Sarsithian doctor had slipped her. Kirk orders Onith to stop the attack, and the general, for some reason, agrees for a short time, but then after a while he starts it back up just as Spock beams over to Chapel's ship to bring her back to the Enterprise. By the time that Spock has Chapel sedated and ready for beam out, the Sarsithians have stopped attacking the Klingons and have started attacking the Enterprise itself. Uh, the Klingons, not understanding what the heck is going on, they fire and destroy Onith's flagship. 
So now their leader is gone. So as soon as the general is dead, the remaining Sarsithian ships retreat back to the planet, and the damaged Klingon cruiser heads back home to get reinforcements. Chapel is beamed back and cured, and the Enterprise plots a course to catch up with the Klingons to explain the problem before this can escalate into an all-out war. And then it's to be continued. This yeah. is kind of a setup for the next one. Uh, it does kind of end abruptly, but the next one picks up with the whole Klingon th- uh, being angry, but we don't get any more Sarsithian things. So that's why it's split up into two stories. Yeah, and looking at the comic, I don't see anywhere where it says to be continued or it, it part doesn't. one of two or whatever. Nope, it doesn't. And in fact, the it's probably supposed to be one just really, really, really long story, but most places that I've looked at uh, break it up into two uh, just because I mean this story alone is one of the longer ones out mm-hmm. of all of the uh, Star Trek comic strips and right. the next one is one of the longer ones out of all the Star Trek comic strips so if they were together that would be one hell of a long <laughs> episode right right. so you're right it doesn't say to be continued because in essence every story is continued into the next one because you just have to wait till the next day to look at your newspaper. There you go. Anyways, what'd you think of the story overall? <laughs> I, I think it was okay. I thought some of the battle stuff towards the end, where you're wondering what the hell are these little frog guys doing? And by the way, these this is an amphibian race, so they look kind of funny, and they uh, they like to have diplomatic conferences in water and stuff. So. Um, was it water or was it mud? I couldn't tell. Was it mud? I thought it was water. It might have eh. been water because they're the Brotherhood of the Water and things like that. So Right. Anyway, so I, I mean, for a lot of it, I thought it was kind of weird. I was thinking, what the heck are these guys doing? These frog guys are nuts. But then when it got into the fight in the, in the, sh- in the space battle towards the end, you know, I was kind of wondering what was going to happen with all this. So from that standpoint, it was pretty good. The, but, uh, the uh, yeah. Yes? No, go ahead. Um, I thought the artwork was pretty not good. The, the ships look okay, but you know, definitely these these amphibian humanoids are pretty uh, stupid looking. They, yeah, they, they basically got these huge eyes. Yeah, they basically have normal normal bodies, so they're normal bipedal human like bodies, but their heads are kind of squatty and with huge eyes. Huge eyes. Huge they, human eyes. Yeah, and then they have some sort of extra arm tentacle thing that comes out of their back. Right. That they can also use kind of as hands. <clears throat> right. But aside from that, their their bodies look very human-like, and they have five fingers just like us, things like that. Yeah. Quality, again, like normal, varies a bit between Sundays and regular days. And you can really, and that, and that re- you can really see that, not to... Not to monopolize this too much, but <clears throat> in the last several panes when the Enterprise is getting ready to, to warp out and go after uh, the Klingons, there's a Sunday shot in color pretty good of the Enterprise in some kind of a war, you know, starting to enter warp, whatever, with multicolored, um, like almost a starburst behind it. So that looks kind of interesting. And then you can see basically the same shot but in the lower quality black and white on the like that following Mondays 
At least I think it's a Monday. It, it's right. the it's a, it's the cartoon immediately following the, the the nice color Sunday one. Same panel almost, and you can really see the difference between the two. So I mean, it's kind of interesting having those two to compare to, and maybe that's just a question of how much money they had to spend on Mondays. You know, speaking to the technology of the day back 1981, whatever. I don't know, but I thought it was kind of interesting to see that difference in uh, in art quality for the same yeah. shot. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, this one I thought was a little odd because you almost didn't even need to read the Sunday paper one because usually the Monday page was the exact same, almost <laughs> the same frame that you had in the Sunday paper. So it seemed like they, and I don't know if this is because the Sunday paper cost more, so maybe a lot of people didn't get the Sunday paper, so they only got the daily ones. So Right. But And we got a little bit of that in the earlier ones, but this one seemed, I mean, especially with some of the panels being 100% the exact same picture, just one day it was color and then the next day it's black and white. Did you notice that too? I'm sure you did. Oh, yeah. And, and, and now that they mix it up a little bit in some of the shots, but like I said, that, that, that last shot of Sunday and the last shot of Monday, it's the same shot, only one is kind of cropped. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the Enterprise going to warp, that that's the same, although the the, the word balloons are a little different. Um, right. And the other four panels that show in one shot, uh, Kirk and and Sulu, different panel shows McCoy and Kirk, and then there's another one I won't bother mentioning. But I mean, basically those shots are the same people, but they it's a little different. I mean, their 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 positioning is a little different. Yeah, no, they are, but if you look at those four panels, and then yeah, you the, look at the story four wise. panels. Yep. Uh, yep. Hold on, am I on mute? Oh, no, you're not, you're not on mute. Sorry. <laughs> I hit it, so I thought maybe I'd accidentally oh. stuck myself on mute. No, um, but if you look at those four panels, and then you look at the Sunday before, all four of those panels, at least storyline-wise, and for the most part, the art is pretty much the same, because the first panel shows... Uh, Spock and Chapel being beamed, uh, then a picture of McCoy talking to Kirk, and then a picture of Sulu talking to Kirk, and then a picture of the Enterprise going to warp. So I mean, yeah, they're a little different, but but you can you didn't have to read the Sunday paper because you were going to get the same four panels True. the next day. Yep. So th- that's all I was getting at. But very true. But what I liked about this story, and maybe I liked it a lot, was. The fact that this society had lived as a war society, all its economics and everything was built to support a war effort for several generations, and then suddenly they didn't have that anymore. I mean, that that happens. That's that's real. That, oh. That, <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I really, I mean, maybe not to the extent of 450 years, because, I mean, the Hundred Year War was only... 100 years right so but it just got me to think that what if your whole life from the time you were born to the time you died your country was in a war the whole Mm -hmm. time never finished the war never started a new war or anything just this one conflict your whole life that that would mess up with your your whole economy for the country your planet or whatever yeah so I I really like that idea your culture Yeah. yeah And then once you did get out of war, you know, for four or five generations, that's all you've ever done. So you couldn't go back to being a farmer or 
whatever it was that your ancestors did before the the invaders. So I really liked that idea. Now, yeah, yeah, uh, true, but but definitely the way the politicians were handling things, where they were trying to adapt, and then definitely the way the general was acting was definitely the way not to do it, starting another war, especially with two. <laughs> With, with two, uh, an empire and the Federation that could easily cream you. Right, like, but they, Hello. Thought, they thought they were going to be on the side of one of them. They thought they were, they thought it was a sure thing that they were going to be on the side of the Federation. It wasn't until Kirk called him out on it that they started attacking the Federation ship too. Yeah, which, hello, I mean, w- w- these guys don't think very well. I mean, they, they, well, they seem to be quite emotionally charged. Well, it was only that because one basically, guy. It was only Onith. And all of his followers. Right, but they're, they're followers. Yeah. They don't think. Yeah. Well, like I said before, it's great how the politicians were handling things with, with Kirk and the Federation. Bad how the military was handling it. And uh, Onith, which I think right. is an odd name. but Yeah, well, I mean... I just kept thinking, I'm wondering if they're trying to draw some sort of parallel to Germany from the time, end of World War Two to the beginning of World War, or I'm sorry, end of World War One and beginning of World War Two, and how some military-esque type person could end up taking over and keeping your country in war to, to stimulate the economy or whatever. I don't know. I don't know if they were trying to yeah. go there or what, but well, I thought, yeah, and it, thought it was good. And it, and after World War Two, or after World War One, when the Germans were beaten, they and then the uh, Depression came in, they had such economic problems that uh, that Hitler was able to come in mm-hmm. and convince everybody, wartime, everybody, come on. Right. Um, in this case, yeah, I guess there are some parallels, but I mean, we're not talking about generations that were in uh, in war, and, no. and and it wasn't necessarily that people. Wanted to go back to war right away after after uh, World War One. It's that economically they were so screwed up. Right. Yeah. It's so just... yeah, I, I guess. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, they do have famine of... here on this planet. Right. Um. And a plague. You know. Yeah. So, anyways, I, like I said, I liked it. I didn't care for the the Sarsithian look them per se, but the storyline I I really liked. Probably one of my favorite ones so far. Just about yeah. how somebody could try to take over your whole society because, you know, even though they know that he's doing something wrong, but it's maybe he's the only one that can get them out of this uh, this crisis that they're in. And people do want the fast fix instead of having to work with it like <clears throat> uh, like the politicians were trying to do. Right. Yeah. And. General wants to be in power. He's used to being in power. He wants to keep his powerful position. I thought it was odd what they... I thought it was interesting that Christine Chapel was Miss Action Girl. And, and I think it was kind of weird how they used her in here. It's like, good news, character, uh, Dr. Doctor uh, Chapel. You get to be in the episode a lot. Bad news is you just get to uh, act like a nutcase. Which is funny because we read that episode of the DC comics where Savick was going through Pond Far and she kind of had the same role. Right. Steal a ship, start attacking anything that comes near you. 
Yep. Yep. My, my only thing is that I, I just think the Sarsithians as a whole, they don't seem to have any repercussions after basically trying to start the the war. I mean, even though General Onith was doing it, uh, as soon as he's gone, it seems like Kirk and them are letting them go scot-free. Or maybe I'm just reading into it. No, no. I agree. But I guess they had to go catch up with the Klingons, so they couldn't have a lot of time to have a tribunal or anything. Exactly. And the guy who was really responsible for it got blowed to bits anyway, so... Yeah. All right, anything else on this one? I think the first time I saw Counselor Arvith, I thought it was Jabba the Hutt. And then when they pulled back and showed, like, the head sticking out of the water, it was like, oh, this ain't Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> so, well, I was going to make a comment about that. There's a Star Wars trilogy of books called the Han Solo Trilogy. Uh, yes. And in the first one, Han Solo, it's about a younger Han Solo uh, before he right. has the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Uh, he goes to a planet that's ruled by uh, an offshoot of the huts. So they're kind of like hut-like creatures. They have four legs, but their bodies are slug-like. And they like to partake in the uh, mud baths. And there's a, a part where they invite Han to come into the mud so that they can talk business or whatever. Yeah. And he has to strip into his undies and jump in this mud, similar to how Kirk and Spock had to do there at the beginning. Huh. So that's called the Paradise Snare. I don't know if you've have read that one. No. I began reading one of the Han Solo trilogies, and I have yet to uh, complete it. Oh. Uh. Well, if you started on the first one, that is that is the first one, but maybe you didn't get that far. No, I didn't. But anyways, that's good, and, and I'm just I'm just glad I wasn't the only one who thought those guys were a little hut-like. They are a little hut-like in the face. Although the eyes are just so huge, and with human eyeballs. Because I thought they were supposed to be like frogs or something a little bit, a little frog-like. And yeah. frogs don't have human eyes, but... Well, I don't see I don't... the human eyes. I mean, yeah, they're round, but... Aside from yeah, that, round pupils. Oh sure. No, but well, I do. Okay. Well, I mean, they're. I do. I, I see what you're saying, but don't all eyes kind of look like that? I mean, I know amphibian eyes maybe don't, but. Well, cat eyes don't. There's different types of eyes. Right, but I'm just saying. And these, like, especially when they're in the, in the mud and stuff, <laughs> or the water, whatever it is, and uh, Kirk and Spock are both. Uh, you know, shirtless and who knows what else they've got under the water on. But but looking <laughs> at the two uh, Sarsithians, the eyes just look kind of human. Huge, mind you, but human. Right. No, I, I got you. Well, if you ever got in a fight one of these guys, you really just have to hit them in the eye. Right. It's an easy target. Yeah, they're, they're bulbous enough. They are bulbous. But they can just slap you with one of their hand tentacles from the back. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, at first Bastardly. I thought those were some sort of scarf or something, and then I realized when they're, they they use attached. it to, as a hand later, and I'm like, oh, that's a hand. Anyways, okay. anything else? No. Nope. No, 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 no. Sure, last call. Last call for alcohol. Nope, I got nothing else to say about this one. So we'll continue that. I'm looking story. forward to the end. Yeah. To I the thrill pack conclusion. Yeah, I hope the, the Klingons don't start a war with the Federation. Over these frog guys. Hmm. Right. So, uh, this is January 1981, and there was no other Star Trek-type thing going on. 
So there's nowhere, nothing to talk about in the Else Worlds and Star or elsewhere in Star Trek universe. Uh huh. So next week we'll get back together and we'll finish this story off with the comic strip number eleven. And we're going to not do a Marvel, normal Marvel, the old Marvel. We're going to do a, a newer issue called The Untold Voyages Number Three. Hmm. So, strip number eleven, Untold Voyages Number Three. Bueno. So it should be good. Looking forward to it, man. Yep. So until next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.